Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Thank you, folks, for tuning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. Tonight, I have a very established, renowned hunter. His name's Jeremy Salter, and we're going to talk about, about some. We're going to talk about coyote hunting, bobcat hunting, and mountain lion hunting, whitetail hunting, turkey hunting. So we're going to cover a lot of cool stuff here. It's like you may get a little lost, but but Jeremy's going to bring home some really solid information and stuff that can really motivate you to try to open up your experiences with different opportunities and and he can and i'm going to have him elaborate in some of his experiences and how we landed getting on some of his fun exciting hunts and even being on tv a few times so jeremy why don't we start in the beginning here and let the audience learn about who you are all right my name is jeremy salter i'm originally from eastern north carolina i lived there for 30 years i um i grew up hunting as Far back as I can remember, riding in the pickup truck with my dad. Where I'm from, we could run deer with hounds. Um, so, you know, every Saturday morning, that's what you look forward to, was going to load the hounds up, run deer. Um, killed a lot of deer. We had a lot of deer then and uh, kind of graduated on to running bears and getting bear dogs of my own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, did that for 30 years at home. I duck guided a little bit and uh, guided bear hunters then. Um, there was only a few bear hunters back, you know, 20 years ago and it was it wasn't as popular as it is now mm-hmm. I would say um, so there was you know probably 50 guys in the state that were really doing a lot of bear hunting and so I kind of turned over to deer hunting and did a lot of bear hunting and a lot of waterfowling um, things went through in my life and um, I, like I said I was there for 30 years and then um, 11 years ago I decided I needed a change and I moved to southeast Iowa so what? Why do you settle on Southeast Iowa? Because I mean, you have Decorah, you have Iowa City. I mean, there's a lot of areas that produce some massive bucks, especially like over by John Dudley up by Indianola. Um, I had a good friend of mine um, that was um, that had lived with me for a little while. And he was from Southeast Iowa, and um, through um, other personal things that went on in my life, I had an opportunity at the time to kind of get away from what was going on at home and. Maybe start over, if you would say. Mm-hmm. I had a, I knew one person here, and he had he had stayed with me, and he was a good friend. So I called him one day. I said, "Hey, can I stay with you for a little while?" He says, "Of course." I was halfway there when I called him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was I was glad he said yeah, and you know that was kind of the legits of it. I uh, he gave me a place to stay. I got established here, and um, you know uh, here I am today, and it's been a whirlwind of fun stuff i was able once i moved here i was i just got to know the right people and um um people will really help me out and get me got me started and gave me a chance and you know i kind of just went on from there with it that's fantastic news because i used to used to live in your neck of the woods too I used to live in centerville Ottumwa, x line so it's like i know the yeah. area you're about oh, yeah. so it's like it's absolutely gorgeous and it's like some areas oh, yeah. are just flat great, and there's some areas it's like got some nice rolling hills Oh yeah, where we're at here in Van Buren County, you know, everybody that knows anything about 
whitetail in those Van Buren County and this southeast mm-hmm. Iowa is just a mega for whitetails. And um, I just was lucky enough to end up here. You know, I could have ended up, like you said, anywhere, and I ended up in, in mega buck territory. So. Right. Yeah, because there, uh, there was a big buck that shot it was over in 2003 or by Albia, wasn't it? Yep, the Albia buck. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, like right. 305 or 308 or something uh, like that. Just ungodly big. Absolutely massive. I thought it was pretty interesting to like to only live only a few miles from that because you're driving through Albia on my way down to Centerville because a gal from there. So, yeah, going through Albia quite a few times. So that's always a fun thing. Now, I want to circle back to the dogs because it's like I'm not from the culture of running dogs for deer. So what, um, what um, started running deer, running dogs with deer? What started? Yeah, we're breaking up just a little bit. I don't know if it's on your end or mine, Jeff. Uh, you're freezing up. I don't know if I am or not. Yeah, you've completely frozen up. I got and I got good signal and everything. So yeah, maybe we'll just give it a second. Everything looks pretty good on my part. Yeah, see, and I'm still hearing your audio, so we can just. Um, yeah, I can hear. Yep, yeah, I can hear your audio too. We can, if it's good audio, we can just move right all along. Yeah, we can just move right along with that then. So then, getting back to my question was, is that since I'm not from, I'm not familiar with running dogs with, for deer. Do you know the history okay. about that and how that became a tradition? Well, you know, I think it, a lot of it began with the, the coon hunters, you know, and um, uh, the they. Were, oh, okay, we're back. There we go. I can see you're not froze up anymore either. There we go. That was just strange. That the nice thing is, I can edit this stuff and post yeah, yeah, too. Not a big deal. Anyway, right back to it. I believe it started with coon hunters. You know, um, the laws in North Carolina back then were pretty lenient, um, and over time. You know, these, it's really thick country. It's hard to, back then it was hard to, for a guy to kill a deer. Um, and I'm assuming like my, my dad's done it for 50 years. So he started with a squirrel dog and just kind of transferred mm-hmm. on with hounds, the coon hounds to, to deer hounds because it was legal. And, um, so, you know, it was a big, it's a big tradition. It still goes on to this day. If I make it home, you know, if I get a chance to go and with my dad or some buddies and run hounds, I, I could care less to shoot a deer anymore, but I sure do love to hear the hounds run one, especially when you put, you know, 50 or 75 hounds in the woods and they get on a deer. It's, it's a heck of a good sound to me to hear the hounds running. It's just you got to appreciate how the animal works. And like when they start working and synchronizing with everybody, it is just impressive. It's like growing up uh, pheasant hunting in northern Iowa, I really just like watching the dog work. And then oh, and sure. watch them come up and then all of a sudden you're just pointing right at a bird. And then just, boom, oh, ghost. Oh, yeah. That's I'm a dog man. Like I said, I've had hounds all my life. Uh, me and dad had, oh, at one time, probably 45 deer hounds. And then I kind of moved away. And then I had 15 bear hounds. I've always had dogs. Um, so, and, you know, I've always had a lab. I got one now that's wandering around in here. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm a hound guy. I, I guess that's because I was just raised that way. You know, always had hounds and, I enjoy it. Uh, a lot of the guys are going don't don't know anything about it, so they a lot of guys kind of knock it. But until you try it and get out there in the camaraderie with everybody, you know, it's um it it can be a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, I think it's a lot of the misconception with uh, running hounds because like 
we're so used to the, to the culture in most places, you can't run them. But then again, it's like you got to learn the history and understand the background of why they were initially thought of. Because right. you're right, though. You're looking 60, 70, 100 years ago. I mean, that's a thick, dense wood. Good luck oh, trying to spook anything because they're going to see you and hear you before you get close. Oh, for sure. You know, and these guys would turn five or six dogs loose in a block. And, you know, they would surround the block kind of like a drive. And uh, mm-hmm. the dogs run deer out. And, you know, over time, they, uh, excuse me, they, uh, over time, the guys know where the deer would come out and cross. So they would get into crossings, and, you know, it, it was no trophy hunting for sure. That was the last thing on these guys. And still to this day, you're not shooting trophy deer in eastern North Carolina. Um, but uh, it does, it's it's a big heritage. It's a part of my heritage, and I'll carry it on the rest of my life. If it's the coon dogs or bear dogs or cat dogs or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like I uh, came growing up and coming into coon hunting at the tail end of when the market dropped out. So a lot of my uncles stopped doing it because it's like they couldn't justify the means because it's like it's expensive for gas, for the dogs, stuff like that. And so oh, yeah. it kind of just fell out of it. And now it's like the coons are just everywhere. And it's like I almost kind of wish there would be a way to regenerate that market because that really handled the pest control. I really would. I mean, you know, when, you, uh, when you're running trail cameras in the summertime like we do, and we'll put corn out to get pictures of deer. And, and uh, when you get pictures of 11, 14 coons in one picture, you got a coon problem, you know, and, and I coon, I coon trap and I try to do the best I can for predator control with them. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, again, if it wasn't that I could trap all these farms local from, you know, leave my door in a side by side and do, do all my trapping, it wouldn't be worth my while either because obviously you're getting a dollar for a coon. Then you're getting, uh, you're, you got gas. I mean, your bait, your traps. I do it to kind of help. With the you know with your turkey egg situation, uh, pheasant egg situation, uh, yeah. yeah, you're not making money trapping coons nowadays. I mean that's a, that's a fact. But it's almost like a way of paying your dues to be able to get onto some land property because we all know getting buying Iowa land is not an easy thing to do, especially in that area. It's like Monsanto controls a lot of that uh, public or private land, private sector there. So it's like good luck with that. And then uh, Bill Gates just bought several thousand acres in Iowa too. So good luck with even with that option too as well. So there's a lot of um, battles we're fighting with as as a hunter. So it's like doing that basic thing for them that's going to make their life so much easier because now you're able to focus on the pork stuff and making sure that farm runs well and okay. trying to deal with uh, coons getting in there, everything getting right. food. I mean, they, I mean, they spread disease. Right, for sure they spread disease. You know, you and. Um, you know, that's what all the, pre- all, I consider a coon a predator. So, uh, the coons, um, your coats, that's what I really focus on. Um, you know, if I catch a cat, that's a luxury, but, you know, that's a whole different page when you start messing with cats. But, uh, you know, we focus mostly on the coats and I really do it early on the coons and then I'll pull off the coons and just focus mostly on coyotes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, some guys will let you go in after, uh, after January the 10th, you know, it kind of, I was needs to change their trapping laws a little bit for the season wise. You know, our season goes out in January. Um, for as a trapper, I think we need to go on into February, especially the way these winters have been super cold. I could have really done a whole lot more with the coach if I'd have had a little bit more time. Uh, but yeah. I, I run out of time, and you know, who, no, it's me. I, I've caught a lot of coats and. I really don't care to go sit out there anymore when it's 20 below zero to go shoot a coyote. I, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a, I have some 
friends here in town that they'll go out there and sit in that cold wind and get out there hunting and get one or two dogs. Yeah. And that's the extent of it. And then uh, we just, uh, Wisconsin had their inaugural season for wolf season, and they filled their, they filled their quota within the first few days. But then again, wolves aren't used to being hunted yet. So come next year, good luck to running me to quarter well, of that because they're really smart. I'm a little educated on that. My a real good friend of mine owns Big Bear Guide Service, and uh, he's in northern Wisconsin, right off Lake Superior. He um, he was one of the when they had a wolf season, that's what people were hiring him to trap wolves um, to get their wolf tag filled. I didn't get mine. I applied for a wolf tag. My girlfriend applied for a wolf tag. Um, we didn't. We got a point. We didn't get a tag. Um, Luckily, my buddy Wayne, he got, uh, his girlfriend got a tag and his son got a tag, but they were unsuccessful this year. They only had seven days where really by the time they got everything situated, I mean, you were down to like five days and they filled it, you know, 216 coyotes or wolves in what, three days. Yeah. Yes. It was impressive. Really, yeah. really quick. I would have loved to have one. I mean, I had a place lined up and the guy I was going with ended up taking a youth hunter that drew a tag and mm-hmm. they were unsuccessful. But 90% of the wolves, I ain't gonna say 90% because I'm not, I'm not gonna throw a percentage out, but a lot of the wolves were killed with dogs. Running dogs, that's how they killed. I know a bunch of camps up there, that's all they did was run them with hounds, and that's, they were really successful at doing it. Ah, see, I I wasn't sure if that was gonna be part of it. See, I I didn't uh, get, I didn't go for a tag just because I don't have the equipment for it. Right. So, so it's like, so it's like, well, that's something I have to work my way into moving in towards, but it's like, now, that's probably why they were so successful because like, they gotta, they're, that's, they're tough. They're tough to find. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they separate it. They'll go around a block and they'll find where it's just one wolf has, has been. And they got it down to a science. You know, these guys mm-hmm. used to do it the same way before when they had the wolf season there in Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, they'll go in, find one, one lone wolf. And, you know, when you put, Five dogs on him, big train of walkers. He's gonna run. I mean, it's mm-hmm. he, he's gonna run. It's not a, gonna sit down and do a lot of fighting with that because he's got five great big hounds on him. Yeah. So then, they, yeah, and they doing just like it's just like a deer running deer with hounds. They just run him across the road and the guy's shooting. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Or gets to the point tired enough, or they circle him back around to the group yep. of people and make sure they're in there and give him the crosshairs. So that's yep. exactly it's, right. this. At least they had an opportunity to be able to. Get out and hunt. Yeah, for sure. So, so then, uh, now I want to move in towards, uh, into your to- videography. So okay. How did you get into videotaping and then, like, how'd you, how those doors open up for you? Well, I, you know, I always like to have a camera and, you know, we used to film a lot of our duck hunts, um, back when we were really doing a lot of bear hunting. Unless you had a video camera this big with the VHS <laughs> tape in it, nobody yeah. would video. And I mean, I got piles of pictures, old Polaroids and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. a lot of that part of my life is just by what I got in my brain and then some pictures, you know, over the years. Um, as it progressed on, uh, started picking up little cameras here and there, just recording mm-hmm. a lot of summertime footage of deer and velvet, blah, 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 you know, through that deal. Um, at that time, everybody wanted to be on TV. Um, so okay. I, I kind of made it a decision. One thing I wanted to do in my life was was either video or, you know, be on TV. And just like all these kids, I think, that watch hunting TV, they want to be Michael Waddell or they want to be mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Um, so I went to the I Deer Classic the first year I moved here, and uh, I met a guy named Steve Kreiner. Um, one, he's a hell of a world-renowned. He's a world champion coyote caller. 
He uh, he had Dog Soldier TV on the Sportsman's Channel. Um, okay. So I got to meet Steve, and um, we stayed in contact for that through that out that year. And the following year, he was at the Deer Classic, and uh, we used to stay all weekend at the Iowa Deer Classic and half for years. And during that weekend, he goes, "Hey, you want to go to you want to go to Wyoming with me and film me shoot a cat?" <laughs> I said, "Hell yeah, I want to go to Wyoming and see you <laughs> freaking kill a cat, man." And uh, so we had got it all planned out, and um, we left in February um, on about a seven of uh, a seven or ten day hunt, and uh, we got up with a good friend of ours, Dirt Jenkins, with Great Plane Outfitters there out of Sheridan, Wyoming, and we took a two hour ride west across the Bighorn Mountains and ended up in the little town of Ten Sweet, Wyoming, and uh, we started hunting. You know, we spent three days riding snowmobiles, cutting tracks, trying to find a good cat, and uh, the last day, we were going to have to get out of there in another day or so. So it was like our last day to hunt. We cut, we cut a track and, uh, you know, it was two and a half hour one way ride in on a snowmobile. And the country where we found this cat was something like you, somebody had painted, you know, the most beautiful canyon, just like you would want it to be if you were going to go in there and kill a cat. But oh, that's incredible. Yeah. But anyway, Steve gave me an opportunity and it kind of worked and, um, you know, and then after that, uh, that spring, I went and I got a phone call. Hey, can you come out and stay for, you know, a week or 10 days? I said, yeah, of course. So we did, uh, we did a bear. We've done a lot of bear stuff. I followed him around with a camera for a long time, off and on through the okay. years. But he, he, he taught me a lot, but you know, Steve started out with, uh, Hunter Specialties and, uh, with Philip Vanderpool and all them guys. So they taught him and he kind of taught me. And then a lot of it was just lessons, you know, we're, we're running and gunning, shooting coyotes. We were doing it all and I'd never filmed any coyote hunt. So, you know, he, I was a hunter, which helps you in the, in the videographer world. You kind of got to be a good hunter, I think. Um, I think it shows in your, in your videography from a guy that maybe don't do a lot of hunting to a guy that's done a lot of hunting. Um, you know, and he, he showed me a lot of tricks and, um, we, we just kept on going and just kept on going. And, you know, we were starting to do like 18 day runs. We leave and do four state runs and, and shoot coyotes from Colorado all the way down to Texas. Okay. Man, that's a lot, a lot of miles, a lot of windshield time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's like we mentioned, uh, the bighorns. I, I, I spent some time in Shell and, and Grable. Oh, I was like hitchhiking about a decade or so ago. I said, that's just absolutely gorgeous area. Oh, yeah. You can't ask this. I mean, it's just like a picture some of that, you know. you It's so crisp and pretty. I love Wyoming. You know, we camped all the way through Yellowstone this year. We took off and camped. We were gone for seven days camping through Yellowstone. So. That was exciting. Yeah, because when I was, when I was, when I was going through, I was, I was hitchhiking. So I was sleeping wherever I could find a spot. I, I, I get drove by the law. That's so bad. It was it was definitely a lot of it was really interesting, especially when I got into Colorado and I got into um, just outside of Durango. It's called Al uh, Blanco, okay. and it was just a small little podunk town. It probably had maybe fifty people in there. Got into town right side down. I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So I was like, <laughs> well, instead of instead of trying to fall asleep, I just kind of stayed awake and waiting for someone maybe get lucky to get move on down the road for a little further. But uh, I came at this intersection, which is kind of weird. Out in front of a bar that was closed down, or was closed for the night, and it was an inter- it was an intersection, and 
Well, I'm sitting there. I'm just on my phone listening to music, having it charged, and just kind of just waiting for a car to drive by. And all of a sudden, I look up, and here's this big, here's this coyote right in front of me. I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. It's just right in the middle of town. But I've been, I've been hearing dogs all night long barking, so I knew there's something out there moving around because it would not stop. I think it was about midnight, one o'clock, and then all of a sudden I jumped up or look up from my Indian style, and there was a big white wolf. Mm-hmm. I, just, I jumped up like a good couple of feet because I mean I was scared. Right. I was like, "What the heck's going on?" And he looked at me. I looked at him, and he just kept on trotting. That's amazing, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've, I've seen some wolves over over the years. Um, most of them been in Wisconsin that I've seen. Um, you know, they're they're different creatures for sure. But that's that's a cool story. Yeah, it's something I I like to tell them, and my listeners have heard it before. But it's having that experience. Like, not very many people can say that and actually be no more than than two, uh, like five, six yards apart from each other, and just staring at each other. It's like he just didn't care, didn't see me as a as a threat, and he just kept on walking down. So that's how that's. But um, one of my first, one of my most memorable spot experiences with uh, with a uh, with a wolf and then coyotes. I've I've called them in grunting, so it's like. They're not that bad. Coyotes are interesting when they when especially when they're hungry. Right, right, for sure. And, and that would have been like this year. You know, we had such a tough winter here. I guess we probably had 18 inches of snow on the ground at the max, but we were snow covered from oh middle of December probably right on through until maybe three weeks ago. And now finally all the snow's gone. But yeah, pretty tough winter. And if a guy would have wanted to spend the time out probably calling every night, he probably would have been a uh, Probably been pretty successful, I would guess, this time. Yeah, exactly. Especially for how cold it was. We got to keep moving and stay warm and yeah. try to feed and such. Yeah, because uh, when I was down there, I was like, because when I was down in Iowa, I wasn't out there to hunt, but I was out there to, like, because it was a staycation for me. So it's like, because I could work, I could work remote. And uh went out there and because my buddy's dad shot up and uh, his boy shot up a couple of deer. But then that's when they found out that the butchers in the area are stopped processing. So unless if it's on the bone, they won't touch it. Right. So I came on down there and I spent 24 hours with this guy, with those guys, um, teach them how to pull the, the hide off them, breaking down the meat. And it was a fun, it was a, a fantastic experience. Well, I got, I got my buddy's dad, well, now my roommate, motivated. And so he got himself a grinder and he got himself a smoker and he got himself a injector. Oh, nice. So it kind of reignited his passion for the outdoors. And so this, uh, we had, we had to head back down there to drop off his, uh, his dad's trailer, and so I figured we'll go on out there, we'll go check out the lands, figure out where everybody's walking, put up my trail camps, and kind of get a uh, establish some uh, quality deer management there, figure out how many heads are out there, and see and watch them grow over the year, and, and see what we could do to really, because his goal before he passes away is to get a, a beautiful, uh, typical buck off that land. So, well, we gotta, we it, it may take you two or three years to get there, but oh, he's, cool. he kept himself in good shape. Yep, but we can we can get there because. I've been able to grow a couple of deer before I got kicked off my private land here a couple of years ago. And I, I, I can, it's just this, I call him dark, dark man because it always showed up either at dusk or at dawn. And I was an 80s kick that day. So it's like, it was, it was called, so I was just thinking about Liam Neeson and dark man. And my wife found one that we named him Maverick just because he just all willy nilly doing whatever he wants. Just a beautiful, typical look, weird looking rack. So oh, I'm, oh. I, I like weird racks. That's, like Mike, this buck up here, his name's Captain Hook. But like one of his hooks go like literally go like this. Oh, nice! With broad tines, so it's like. But the, the history behind him is that I shot him, or I called him in uh, uh, in 2016 and 2017. I was able to capitalize because 
whereas hunting in, in uh, southeastern Minnesota, you don't want to have, have to have a minimum of four brown pines on one side. Well, when he showed up, he only had three. Next year, I, I, I shot him 20, 26 yards out and double lunged himself. I'm oh, pretty, nice. pretty sad. But if you look at him, it's like he's just got a big, massive neck. Yeah. And it's like, then I learned about what they call like a bully buck. And then once I shot him, it five new bucks show up. Yep. You'll have that. And the same thing we kind of do, you know, we have, we're, we're kind of lucky that my girlfriend, she leases some ground and, um, we, we can kind of manage it a little bit. Um, so, you know, you get a three year old eight pointer that comes out and he's just a bully of everybody. You know, he's already busted up. You know, he's been fighting. He'll walk out and every other buck in the field just kind of starts moving away from him because they, some of them are not confrontational. They got per, different personalities. But yeah, that's the one I'd, I'd go ahead and kill him. And you'll see all the deer kind of calm down. There's no more, you know, no more pushing. You know, last thing you want to do is push a 178 inch deer out, you know, um, you don't want that to happen. So, you know, that you shoot stuff like that to get them out of the way. So you can get it grow. Yeah, exactly. Just, you got to call them, you got to call their herd to make sure everything yep. has a chance to. Yep, for sure. Prosper. So then, um, now this uh, this uh, season you had quite the uh, the experience with oh, yeah. your buck this year. Why don't you tell the audience? So you and I have been talking about since November. Oh yeah. So um, on August the ninth, I had a picture of a deer. One picture on a trail camera. Um, knew the deer had a lot of stuff on one side. Um, really couldn't tell a lot about him. And we said, oh well, we'll get some more pictures of him. Well, we never got another picture of deer. Got one picture and. So the rest of the summer kind of went along and still in the back of my brain, I was still trying to figure, I, I remember that deer. Where'd that deer go? Did he die of EHD? You know, did he get hit by a car? Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere around about, I guess, August the 28th, I mean, uh, October the 28th, we had left one morning just to take a ride around. We didn't hunt that morning and, uh, we, we didn't make it a mile. The farm I was, it was pretty close to where I shot him at. He was standing in an alfalfa field and, um, I said, there's the deer right there, Josette. And so we looked at him, and sure enough, that was him, you know. And I'm like, all right, he's back. So uh, we went and pulled a couple trail cameras, and yeah, sure enough, he'd been in there for like five, three, three or four days he'd been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I waited and waited, kind of waited around for the wind to ever get right. So on November the 3rd, I went in that morning um, fairly early. The wind was, I knew the wind was going to shift as soon as the sun come up. So I walked in with it in my face, but I knew when I got in there, it was going to turn back around out of the south. And um, so I got in there, and I think it was 7.30 is when I sent the text out that I just shot him. And he mm-hmm. <clears throat> he come in. and The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug-and-play type of scope housing where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20-yard mark, you can really fine-tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape, and that's to the yard. 
A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. You know, you know, things don't never work out quite like you want them to. So the deer was facing me <clears throat> at 30 yards, and um, I waited and waited and waited, and he finally turned. When he turned, he turned real hard, cording away, and I just put it right behind the second rib, you know, shooting for that opposite shoulder. And um, it went in, penetrated probably half the air, and I didn't, I didn't like that the penetration the way it was. But anyway, the deer run a little ways and walked off, and I knew that it was going to be a waiting period. So we waited, um, called another guy that had a tracking dog, and, um, you know, you got to have blood more or less to have a, the tracking dog to work. Um, we scoured the woods for another two or three hours that day. I went back the following day. We went, I went back two or three times looking at deer. Um, thought I had looked over every leaf and log there was. Uh, the woods is pretty open. You could probably see 150 yards through the woods in any direction. But, uh, anyway, uh, I guess it was last week. Whenever I sent the message to you, it was last week. It was about two weeks. Yeah, I think about a week or two. Yeah, two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, about two weeks ago, we uh, I told my girlfriend, I said, let's go over there and just see if we can see some, pick some sheds up, you know. And uh, we'd been there about an hour and got to where I had shot that deer, and we crossed over the path where we had went before, where did, the way that I saw the deer after I shot him. And as soon as I crossed, went over top of the knoll and looked, I knew that was him. I could see the old big white horn sticking up, and I yelled to her. I said, he's laying right here. The arrow was still in him. Nice. Um, so it won't like somebody else could have shot him because she signed a fletching a couple weeks earlier. She had signed on the fletching, I love you. Um, uh, so I knew it wasn't uh, it wasn't nobody else's arrow either. I knew it was my arrow there. But uh, here he is right here. I had him laying on the couch. <clears throat> oh, man. Look at him. Yeah. He is just a stud. Yeah, one seventy-five and I think two eights is what we could get out of him. She scored him twice. Yeah, if he had good brows, he'd have broke the one eighty. But he just had little baby brows. But he had a big extra ten inch time there coming up between the two and the three splits on both sides. Um, you know, nice bit. Everything you want in a deer, you know. Brow times were just a little weak, but I'm not going to complain about that. No, at least you were able to recover them. And on top of it, yep. the only thing you, you did, uh, the audience, uh, the thing we'll get a kick out is you even got up in a plane and started looking for them too. Yeah, I was, where, yep, that's where I was, yeah, the neighbor was like, hey, we're getting, the, we can get in the plane, man, and go right around and look, but you know, you're not going to see anything. Um, so, you know, and then 
you got to call your game warden here to get a salvage tag um, before somebody is going to comment. That tag that's on there, my local game warden, is um, he's doing about 10 or 15 um, salvage tag calls a day right now during shed season. Wow. So I called him, and he called me back the next day and said, hey, do you still have your bow tag, buck bow tag? I said, yes, I do. He goes, okay, well, I'm just going to give you the salvage tag number. You just tag him with that and write it down. He said, you know, if there's any problems, you direct them to me. So, okay. Um, before anybody freaks out about how I found there's got a tag, that's how that works. Yeah, that's that. You, you and I talked about that. I thought it was pretty still pretty smooth if you're able to 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 uh, uh, to find him. You know, it's like and you said you found him oh, what yeah. 200 yards away. Understand? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I could see the stand and I had walked all over that. Mm-hmm. So the deer, I wasn't there. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I hate for a deer to suffer. Um, so I hope that he come back that and I just missed him and walked by him. You know, he was laid up against a, a blown down tree. Um, his horns won't that white then. So I mean, he could have, I could have walked by him. I just don't think I did. I think the deer might have been off. Um, tried to make his way back injured to where he come from and then expired you know expired there several days later um but i'll never know i could have walked by the deer i just didn't feel like three two other people had walked by him too um but stranger things have happened i could have walked right by him and just didn't see him. yeah that's it's it's the thing about it you just never know and especially like when everything's all brown it's like it's it's yep. perfect camouflage. So good luck with all that. And he was, and he was laying, he was laying back out, so his belly, he was laying belly up against the tree, okay. you know, like so you wouldn't have seen a white belly or anything. You would have been, it would have been, uh, yeah, it would have been brown back if you'd have happened to walk by. How you don't see a set of horns laying there like that, you know? I just, I, I'll never know, but at least I found. Yeah, so now, are you just going to do a European mount with him, or did you, did he have enough fabric on there for just set to make something happen? Oh, oh no, no, yeah, he, he was completely rotted away. So, um, you know, my girlfriend's a taxidermist, so getting a spare cape uh, ain't ain't real hard to do. So I'm, I'm just waiting for a, a nice, a nice October cape to come through, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get him out. There you go. That sounds like a good idea. Cause that's pretty exciting here. So what grabbed my attention initially was you holding this massive uh, mountain lion here from, and I wasn't sure if it was last spring or, because I know I, did, I saw it in October. I was on my way down to Florida. Uh, let's see here. You can see the picture. That, that, uh. Yep, that's the one that, yep, that Steve Kreiner killed that. That was the film. Steve killed the cat. Um, I videoed all of it. So I felt like, you know, all, I shot him with the camera and Steve shot him with the gun kind of deal. So I took a lot of pictures. I was, uh, that was like really the first, what you want to say, dangerous game, if you want to say that, um, that I was able to film and, you know, it aired national TV on the Sportsman's channel. So I was pretty pumped up, got a lot of pictures with that cat. But no, Steve Kreiner was the guy, the hunter that, uh, that killed that for his show. Okay. Walk us through that hunt. Like, how did it start? You know, we like I was saying earlier, we showed up in Ten Sleep, Wyoming, and uh, we needed snow. Um, they just hadn't had a pile of snow. We show up that night. Um, we go down to the local saloon, and mm-hmm. everybody's getting warm, and um, it starts snowing, and it snows five inches overnight. You couldn't ask for any better conditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I take off shooting uh, cutaways and doing everything, you know, as Recording it from just about all day long, different things. Um, mm-hmm. And 
riding around on a snowmobile, you know, we spent and spent hours and rode miles on a snowmobile. Me riding behind Steve filming with a GoPro, yeah. um, through all the snow and the terrain and I mean, just beautiful terrain. And finally, like I said, this, the second to the last day or it might have been the last day if I, I can't remember, but, um, the guys finally cut a track and uh, we were at the truck and they come back and they said, we got a track. And so we, uh, we mounted up on snowmobiles and it was like a two hour one way ride in on snowmobile. Wow. And, uh, we get to a place and there's a track. We cut two dogs loose and, um, I guess it took less than an hour. They the work around. Now this, you got to think about it. It's a big horseshoe. Looks like the, a miniature Grand Canyon. It's 800 foot to the bottom wow. and it's probably. Oh man, a quarter mile wide. It's just yeah. a huge canyon there. And, um, so the dogs got on him and just so happened the cat was bedded in a place that when they got up on him, the cat went right up a tree right there. Wow. So we jumped, jumped in snowmobiles, just rode around the canyon. And now it's, it's like this. It's straight down to where this cat's at. We're almost high level with the cat. Right. Snow three foot deep. And, uh, so I grab a camera. Start filming and we get, uh, we get down to the cat and get everything squared away. Uh, Steve takes the shot and when he takes the shot, the line falls up out of the tree about another 200 foot straight down a block. So now the coolest thing I've seen in hounds was when that cat fell, both hounds went right behind him off of that. Oh Jesus. Sliding as best they could. And it's like sheer cliff straight down as best they could until I got the camera on my tripod hanging it over the cliff uh-huh. so I could see what was, you know, film what was going on. And, yeah, they hit the ground. You know, the snow's four foot deep. Boom, hit the ground right on the cat. And, um, you know, now the, now the hard work begins. How are we going to get him back right. up? So we're walking around this sheer cliff down and. We just have to walk up on two ropes, one climbing rope and one utility rope for the trout fishermen to get down. That was their way of getting down. We just happened to be right at the right spot. So we climbed the ropes down. They tie the uh, utility rope to the cat, and I stay up top. And them guys are pulling the cat, and I'm in the tree pulling him up with the rope. Uh-huh. We finally get him up there and it's just about enough light so we can shoot the end of the end of the hunt. And uh so yeah, we set up epic hunt, man, something that I'll remember the rest of my right. life and you know, I'll tell anybody, if you get a chance to go mountain lion hunting, find you a good outfitter and you know, go kill a mountain lion because it's an experience that you can take with you for the rest of your life and the story is just and then it goes on and on, you know, we get him loaded on a snowmobile. We got two grown men, a cat, a man and a woman pulling a trailer with two dogs in it. Snowmobiles are overheating on the way out, but nobody cares because we killed a mountain lion with us. You know, it is what it is. We finally, we finally get out and, um, yeah, we, we end back up in 10 sleep at, I don't know, nine o'clock at night or whatever. And, um, yeah, I walk in the bar with the cat on my shoulders right in the middle of what everybody right in the bar. I just do it and. 
Steve said, oh, you can't tote him in there. I said, I'll be down if I can't. I went to the truck, put him on my shoulder, walked right in the bar with the cat around my shoulders as it's just bleeding all over the floor. <laughs> I bet you got a round of drinks on that oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had to uh, I had to tip the bartenders real good that night. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so did you guys happen to age the cat? Um, They did, and I cannot remember. Um, It was a big tom. Um, I cannot remember what Steve said. They aged it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure on that, Jeff. I cannot remember what the age of the cat okay, was. And then I'm again, I knew it was an older cat, but I don't know how old. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a young Tom by no means. I mean, he was, he was an old cat, scarred all to pieces, face was all scarred yeah. up. But yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool to do it, especially with a bunch of people I knew. Yeah. You know, I had known these people for, for several years, and yeah, it was a really cool experience. How did Joe Sat get the mountain? No, she didn't. Um, uh, Steve took it. I think he had a guy down in Missouri. Um, he was from Missouri at the time. I- I'm not sure exactly who mounted the cat. I know he's got it back. Steve owns a bar there in Tinsley, Wyoming. And, uh, so he's got his cat up in the bar. Uh, that's awesome. That's pretty epic, man. Yep. Yep. And it was, it was cool because I just got to see him this summer. We, uh, when we camped through Yellowstone, mm-hmm. I stopped and, uh, camped in Tinsley for the night and went over and ate supper and, at his bar and hung mm-hmm. out there for the night. Now, are you familiar with Donnie Vincent out of Hudson, Wisconsin? Um, he's the bear. He, yeah, he's got the yeah, the long haired guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very well versed. Yeah, he's got a book or yeah, he's got a book or some cool video or movie out now. Yeah, he's actually got. I think he's got two movies, a couple of books out. Yep, ben yep. Rogan's podcast. But he, I met him. Uh, I met him in um in uh, Iowa. He was at the Deer Classic. Oh, awesome. There a couple a couple years ago. Well, I, I listened to one of his stories, but I don't remember if it was out in Washington or BC. But he got invited to go uh, hunt a cat and got everything all ready for that. But it's like the cat was two hundred pounds and already two years old for how big the tom was. And it's like, oh man, yeah, it was a, crazy. It's just like talk about like the right combination of food and environment mm-hmm. to grow a cat that quick from just something that's a couple of pounds or two hundred pound right. pound. Right, for sure. Yeah, this cat, I don't, I, I would only guess by picking him up, the cat weighed 150 pounds. Yeah. And he was an empty cat, he wasn't full, so I mean, if he'd have been full, he probably would have weighed 160 pounds. Yeah. Um, but a really, really nice cat. I don't, I don't love, I mean, I'd have loved to shoot him, but, uh, it was the great experience just to shoot him with a camera, you know, and watch it go all the way to TV and then, you know, I got a, I got an unedited version of it yeah. before it ever come out on TV. So I was able to send it to all my buddies and everything to see it before it come out on the, on the show. That is, that is pretty, uh, pretty wicked. Now, when it comes to, I was, I was a little scrolling through your feed and I saw you shot a bear from Northern Wisconsin. Now the child in there, was that, uh, were you doing a mentor hunt with him or was that? No, so, so, yep, that was my stepson and, um, he, um, we were lucky that, uh, so my buddy Wayne, that's the outfitter there, he calls me and I'm good friends with him. I go stay with him all summer, you know, go up and we, uh, we, uh, train dogs in the summertime, bear dogs. Yeah. But anyway, he calls me. He goes, Hey, I had a client that's not going to be able to come. He wants to be able to transfer his tag to a youth, which is legal there. Yes, it is. Um, so he, uh, so we were able to get a tag kind of a, Spur of the moment, it, it come up pretty quick. I'm like, hell yeah, we're coming. I'm coming for the week. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I took, uh, he was, uh, I think he was 12 years old there. And, um, yeah, we, we did that one on bait. I didn't run, didn't run it with hounds. We didn't have a lot of time. Uh, 
uh, Wayne runs a big camp there. He's have, he has a lot of clients, 80 to 100 clients. He has to run out in 30 days. Um, so, you know, it was a bait deal. I'd have loved to do it with dogs, but it just so happened it worked out to do it on bait. And, you know, the first day we set for 12 hours, nevertheless. So I got a 10, or, he was 10 or 12 at the time sitting with me for 12 hours in a, in a ground blind on the ground. Um, it ain't but so many video games and so many conversations you can have in 12 hours sitting there, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to burn him out. So the next day we only set eight hours and then, uh, on the th- Third day we moved locations because we hadn't seen a bear. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got to the, the third, the new spot on the third day and about five hours into the sit, a nice 300 pound boar bear all of a sudden just appears. The mosquitoes are so bad if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's friggin' miserable sitting there. You know, they're just everywhere. You're covered up with mosquito net, whatever. Mm-hmm. And everybody's kind of got their head down miserable. And I look up and the, and the bear's in the bait already eating. And I just reach over and tap him. I go, get your gun up. And, uh, I hit record on the camera. I had that propped up just in a mint location. Uh-huh. And, uh, I just hit record and never had to touch the camera again so I could focus with him yeah. to get him situated. So he gets the gun up and, uh, the bear's kind of down in a, in where, what he's eating. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed Uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click, and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. And I say, all right, you know, when he gets his head up and he opens that shoulder up, he was already broadside. He couldn't have got it no better. Uh-huh. Yeah, as soon as he lifted his head up, he turned and looked. I said, give him one. He shoots him, and uh, the bear huckles all up, goes down, does the big death moan two or three times. I knew the bear was down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm shaking. And I've killed a lot of bears, but I'm more excited and he don't even know what he's done. I'm sitting there just shaking, man. I'm like, yeah, we got this bear killed, you know? And, um, so anyway, we go down there and obviously, you know, the bear's expired. I go in there and find the bear first, come back out and we do all our big cameos, whatever else. And anyway, uh, that was for Steve. He, he, he had killed a bear already and he needed another, he wanted another bear kill and it just so happened to work out that. We had that bear tag, so we uh, we aired that on the show, and um, 
Yeah. I believe Steve killed his bear with his grandpa's 30-30 lever action on the ground on, on that hunt. So it was, it was a really, it was a really cool episode that was. I bet that kid's just going to be tickled pink for the rest of his life. Oh yeah, we got it mounted for him, just a half mount coming off the wall, yeah. you know, so he's got that, he'll have that the rest of his life. So yeah, he's got, he's got a real cool story. And all my kids grew up, um, running bears. Mm-hmm. So they're really familiar with the dog end of it. They all go with us in the summertime, yeah. go up and run hounds. And so, you know, for him to kill one, it meant a lot to him. That's fantastic. Now, with your experience with uh, bear hunt, have you ever had a bear uh, charge you or a bluff charge you? Oh yeah, several times. Yeah, lots of times, especially with hounds. Um, I would say not just me and a bear. Um, I've been in some predicaments with bears, <laughs> but um, I've uh, most of the time I, the bluffs have come where there's been hounds around, um, have a bear bait on the ground, and have to be in really tight quarters with a bear, and trying to work a client or work your buddy in to get a shot at the bear without without shooting a dog or you know the safest way possible for him to get a shot. And when you open the reeds up on a on a four hundred pound black bear and you're three yards from him, the first thing he looks at now is you because you're the tallest thing yes, there. Yes, exactly. So he's focused he's focused everywhere you're going now and he's really stopped messing with the dogs as much as he was and now he's watching you. Yeah. Um I've had him I've had him almost run over top of me and within I you know I can't say some of the things I don't <laughs> we've done with bears. But I might have pulled the hair out of one one time when he come down the tree, but I'm not gonna say I did, but I seen just say I seen a guy do it one time. But yeah, uh, very close encounters. I've never had uh nothing that I felt like was was super dangerous with them. I respect the bears probably more than most people do. Um they're uh they're a really special animal to me. I I just you know, that's something I've always liked is the bear. Spent a lot of time in the woods with bears. Um, I've taken a many a person in that's killed bears, so. That is, yeah, you know, we can only have respect for them because uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were out walking one of the parks here in the cross, and, he, and she saw this up, she saw, she saw a skull, or saw some bone, I went over and grabbed it, it was a two-year-old, uh, black bear, but uh, I was wondering if you've heard about the big 800-pound bear that got shot in Sparta, Wisconsin this year. Um, I saw some pictures of that, Jeff, um. I've seen some huge bears. We killed one and we didn't, but a group killed, uh, at that time was the largest black bear Wade ever killed there in eastern North Carolina. If I'm not mistaken, it was 878 pounds or 889 or something that they killed, uh, back, oh, it's been, you know, 15 years ago now. But yeah, that, that is a, any bear over four, five hundred pounds, they're just, yeah, they're a huge bear. Yeah, it's like I was, I was, it's like I got a picture of the gal next to the DNR and stuff like that, but it's like, uh, I, I'm not being able to pull up her name, but she's 11 years old. It's like she just. Yep, I saw, I, I saw the picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. After, if you shut a bear that big, it's like, I think I'd retire at that point in time because I, how are you on top of that? You know, right, right. And I've been around a lot of bears being killed and, uh, you know, it's gonna to have to be a big one for me to shoot another one. I, I I say that, you know, with dogs or something, I probably would shoot another one. But um, you know, I'm usually the guy behind now. Whoever's shooting, you know, um, we uh, I I took over or not really took over. I guess um, it's in the process. I'll be working for uh, an outfitter in North Carolina with with several different scenarios how things gonna go. Either you know, I'm gonna take over half of it or 
run to everyday operation, I guess, is what's going to go on. So we do bear deer combos, um, Buffalo Creek Outfitters in eastern North Carolina. Um, we'll have a hundred clients coming in for deer and bear. We do, uh, we do two different hunts. We do a stand bait hunt and we do a dog hunt. So, you know, I'm, I'm right back to where I started at. And it's even more fun now because I get to take somebody into a tree or, or take a man to, to his first bear or kid or woman to their first bear and watch them shoot their first bear. And I get just as much enjoyment out of it now as I did if, if I had awesome. shot. Jeremy, I'm going to have to introduce you to Big John Morton. He owns Big J uh, Custom Calls down there in Louisiana, and he likes doing special things for kids. So if you have a, a child, a young young uh, child comes out there, gets their first turkey, save those wing bones, and I'll get you in touch with them. He'll make he'll make them uh, a call. Oh, excellent, man! Yeah, matter, matter of fact, I do. Um, the first weekend in April is our youth season, and I got youth client. The first weekend, I got a dad and son coming. I have to call for them. Or I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a, a boy or girl. I don't know. I know it's a, a son and a, and a daughter or, 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 or dad or son and daughter. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, definitely I'll, uh, I'll remember that. So yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Cause I'll, I'll be paying attention to your feet. Cause I'm excited about that. Cause he loves doing that stuff for kids. Cause it's like, it's cause the way he does, he developed them and cultivated them in his, his crafts. These are family heirlooms that you, that you, that you pass down. That's what, that's his whole thought behind it. And they're not cheap, so they run about like, I don't know, about a hundred bucks or so. Oh yeah, I had a, I, I had one custom made for, uh, for my uncle for Christmas, uh, several years ago. I had a custom made one, um, beautiful, coming, coming a little case and a stand and, you know, had, had from, from me to my uncle on there. And, uh, yeah, he, he enjoyed that. You know, he's a turkey hunter. I don't know if he's ever taken it out. The turkey hunt, it sits there on his shelf because it's, it is, it's, it's a really nice piece to look at. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing about when you, when you're spending that kind of money. But then again, if you get a duck call, man, there's calls that go almost two grand. I said, holy buckets. I, I got a lanyard full of them over there that I got, you know, just everyday callers. They're a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred dollar calls. Right? It's just, it's it's unreal. It's like I almost like I I have a twelve gauge that I do not. I have eleven hundred that I have not utilized for Alberta yet. I have like two. I have one hundred fifty rounds of of uh, seven shot that needs to needs to needs to fly. So it's like but I need to, I need to, I need to find the. There you go. Heck yeah! You got to burn some gunpowder. Burn some gunpowder. <laughs> exactly. I just like because it's like I'll probably use all of them to shoot two birds. You know. Because like I don't, I don't, any actually, if I were to go out there, I'd probably go and get some trap shooting with my belts this way and get that muscle memory down and practice on like a complete fool. Because right now I can find plenty of ammunition for birds. Yeah, I was gonna tell you, you know, to make the year any even busier for us. Uh, my girlfriend Josette, if she's uh, if she she should pull her New Mexico elk tag this year. Oh, that's exciting. So she didn't she didn't pull it last year. So we're she'll know here in a in a month or so or more if she uh if she got her her elk tag for bow in New Mexico. So yeah, to put the icing on the cake, we'll be in New Mexico in September. Come back and then I'll leave and go to North Carolina and guide hunters there for fifty days or forty five days or whatever. So yeah, we're it, it'll be a busy busy year for us if everything if everything goes like it's. Like it's supposed to. The nice thing about like what we do and stuff like that is like anything that goes on in society really doesn't affect us because we're social distancing professionals at this point in our careers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, um, I, I just had the luxury of, you know, if it hadn't been for Steve and um, opening some doors for me, um, you know, the guys that hired me, 
to come to Eastern North Carolina. Didn't I knew the guys? I've known them, you know, twenty years. And they didn't hire me because I was their friend. They hired me because of the things, the doors that had been opened for me, the the knowledge that I've gained from so many different professional people, um, and you know the the hands on that I've had to do. So they wanted somebody like that to help them. And so, you know, it work, it's going to work out pretty good for us. Um, so that's kind of how my life is starting to go in that direction to hopefully be on the more of the outfitting end of it. I still love to shoot them, but, um, you know, shooting them don't always pay the bills. That's, that's, that's very valid. Do you have any more bucket list hunts on your, on your, before you kick the bucket? You know, if I, if I had to do one big bucket list, you know, I'm not, I love to shoot elk or whatever, but if I had to do one big bucket list one, I'd like to shoot a Kodiak brown bear for sure, 100%. That would be, that would be epic. So, wonder, now would you have to go to Kodiak Island for that, for that type of hunt? Um, there's several different locations. I just had a conversation with a guy that shot one several years ago. He, um, and he was on another island off of Kodiak. Um, but there's a bunch of islands around Kodiak that have bears on them. Um, from, from what I gather. Um, it's just the, it's a money deal, you know. I've had the luxury of being able to go so many places and never have to spend out of pocket to do these things. I was paid, I was getting paid to go and do them. Um, so, you know, I don't know what the future holds for, for me. Um, I got friends. I got another friend that's a, uh, he's an Alaskan guide. Um, this makes his 19th year of going to Alaska. He's a, he guides, uh, trout fishermen in the spring. And then he goes off and does a little bit of big game. And then he goes to Cold Bay, Alaska through December into January and he guys duck hunters. So I got a connection. Um, it just depends on what, what we can work out. I mean, maybe you'll see me shooting a brown bear, you know. Fingers crossed for you, man. I'm hoping for you. Just don't know. Oh yeah. You just, you just don't know. Um, I could care. I don't care what I shoot him with. Shoot him with a damn slingshot if it would kill him. Um, so I'm not particular on if it's the bow or if it's the gun. I, I really don't care if I, if I get an opportunity. To go. I got you. Yeah. I, I think if I, if I didn't, I once like them opportunity to go to Kodiak, get a Kodiak bear probably with a firearm just to make sure it's going to be clean, ethical. And, and if I fuck up and he comes charging at me, I better be able to reload real fast. Exactly. For damn sure. I can't get, I ain't Robin Hood. I can't start <laughs> slinging them bears out of that river like don't that, kidding. you know? But, uh, Man, we've, we've, we've covered a lot of awesome things here. So then we, we talked yeah. about what your upcoming future is going to be like. So I'm, we're going to have to, we'll have to circle back around to later on down the road to so let other people find out how, if Joe Sank got drawn, how your season was out there in, in uh, North oh, Carolina. Oh, for sure. It's going to be fun. I, I need to get Joe Sit on you, too. We'll get into, we'll get into, get into a little bit more uh, on the trapping end. You know, I don't, if, if, People, you know, if they educate a little bit on them, maybe it's on some trap and stuff. If, you, if, if the audience wants to hear a little bit about how we do it and, and what scenarios we do. You know. I think it'd be wise to do that. Why don't we, uh, um, why don't we go right. into that? Why don't we talk about some trapping? Because it's like, uh, my dad's in trapping. Um, I have some friends of mine do trapping, but I never got into it because it's like, I've always lived in an apartment. You need, you need space to hold all the traps. So, so what got you into trapping though? Um, you know, I did it as a kid. Um, we used to trap, uh, where there in Eastern North Carolina, we had a lot of gray fox and, um, they had fox pens back then where the guys would take their hounds and like, kind of like the coyote pens now and they would train their dogs and whatever, have field trials. So as a kid, my dad kind of got started, me started in trapping fox and, you know, I took up several years off and really didn't trap any, really got back into it this year when I spent piles of money on 
on trapping supplies and, and traps again and trying to re-educate myself on, on coyotes because, you know, in eastern North Carolina, we had we didn't have a coyote until the last 20 years. I'd never even seen one until I moved up here. Um, so, you know, we didn't have a lot of coyotes, but, you know, trapping as a kid coming up, and then we trapped a lot of beavers, and um, it just went on from there. And I took a lot of my uh, knowledge. I rode around with a local trapper. I, was looking, you know, I tell everybody. Um, a really good trapper here named Dale. He's, he's very educated, done it for 40 years. I asked him, Hey, let me ride with you on your trap line. Not that I didn't know how to trap. I just wanted to learn some of his tricks, you know, and, and pick his brain as we rode around on a, you know, his trap lines 20 miles, you know, riding around in the pickup truck, you know, running traps. So I, I, I learned a lot from him. And then, um, you know, I took off and like I said, my good buddy Tanner Smith out of La Harpe. He, uh, he's a hell of a, hell of a good coyote trapper. Um, he learned from another guy. So, you know, I took off and he come up here and, uh, went with me when I trapped, uh, for about three or four days. Um, we use a lot of snares. They can't use snares there. So I was educating him on how I use snares. Um, we would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. I went down to him, and he kind of educated me on how he does his dirt hole sets and his flat sets. Um, so we kind of gave knowledge back and forth, and I was deceptive this year. You know, I, I caught him in both. I caught him in snares. I caught him in foot traps. Um, am I a professional? No, by no means. I, if you're not learning every time you go in the woods with a trap, when you're trapping, then you're doing something wrong. You're, you're doing something wrong because you're learning every time I go in there the mistakes that I made and try to uh, try not to make the mistakes again. Now you mentioned a couple of them. You mentioned a dirt trap, and what was the other type of trap you use? Well, you, uh, so we'd use a, a dirt hole set, which is when you, uh, I got an auger bit that goes in the end of a drill. So we, we drill a, you drill a dirt hole, um, you know, I think my auger bit's about 18 inches. Um, I don't quite do it that deep, but, um, then you're, you're cut out for your, for your trap in front of it, eight inches or 10 inches or whatever. Everybody's got a di- different depth. Um, I don't, I think all answers are right because guys are successful in both ways. But, uh, anyway, I do mine about eight to nine inches out in front of the dirt hole. Then you take your bait, you get some sheep's wool and you throw it in the hole and then you get your, you get your lure and put out. And I use wax dirt. I make my own wax dirt. So how do you, so what is wax dirt? So wax dirt is a fine dirt that you have run through your sifter. Um, I made 25 gallons of it, a whole Rubbermaid container. Um, I got a big pot. You sift your dirt, get it as clean as you can, put it in a pot, and uh, they make flake wax. It's just uh, round pellets of wax, kind of a flat wax. They sell it. Uh, Minnesota Trap and Supply sells it, 10-pound bag. And it's really – you can follow the directions on the bag, and you won't it, – it will – it'll steer you right. You'll make wax dirt. Um, everybody has their own recipe. And once you get that dirt hot, it'll start to steam. And, you know, after you do it enough times, you can smell when it's ready. It starts to steam. The dirt's getting the moisture out of it. And then you add your, your wax pellets in there. Then you mix it all up. I'll mix mine with my auger bit. And, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you won't see any wax anymore. 
the wax melts into the dirt. Um, then I, uh, once I think that it's enough wax and the wax is melted, I'll take the wax off, I'll pour it out on a plywood sheet and let it dry. And what that does is it coats all that dirt. And you can take a pile of it, um, you know, this tall and that big, pile it up and I can take a glass of water and pour on top of it and the water just runs right off of it and it will, it's, you can't make mud with it. So it, get, it keeps your trap from freezing. Here in this country, you got, you know, keeps, keeps your traps from freezing. Um, it is, I tell everybody, some guys use peat moss, whatever. Um, for, but for bedding the trap, if you're going to be a successful trapper, mate, learn how to make yourself some wax dirt because it, you, it will save you a lot of headaches and a lot of, uh, a lot of foul ups if you just use the wax dirt. You know, you don't have to use it in your early season. Um, you can use your regular dirt that you got there, but as soon as it starts freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing at night, uh, you want to move over to your wax dirt. It really makes a really nice set. Um, you know, your trap really gets, uh, covered really nice. It's really, uh, user friendly. You can really bed your trap real nice so it doesn't move. Um, yeah, I tell everybody, go, go out and buy yourself a half a dozen of Bridger number threes. Um, find your local trapper, go to conservation and these young guys learn how to, uh, learn how to set it. Uh, you know, get somebody to show you how to set it and, uh, enjoy it. It's all about enjoying it and it's all about learning, you know. Now you said, you mentioned trap number three. So what is, what does that mean exactly for a trap number three? So it's a bridger number three. It's going to be your size. Um, so you got, you'll have a, uh, an inch and a half, an inch and three quarter, a two inch trap, um, a bridger number three. It's going to be, it's not so much as your, uh, how big the trap is. It does because the traps get bigger as the number goes up. Um, so it's just, that's the trap we use. Um, I can get into a lot of detail on the trap. Probably ain't got time for that, but you know, I use a, a bridger number three offset jaw, meaning there's a gap when the jaws are completely closed. There's a gap in between the, in between the jaws. They are laminated, which means there's a piece of, uh, there's another piece of metal that goes over top of the jaw and it gives you a bigger catch area when you put catching. Instead of just having the jaws, you got a little bit more up there to help hold. Um, very animal friendly. Um, them traps are. You want, you want your animal to be as comfortable as he can while he's trapped. You know what I mean? He's going to struggle some, but once he gets struggled down, you still want him enough room that he can move around. He's not twisted, tied all up. Um, I try not, you, you try not to stress the animal no more than you have to because he's already caught, you know. That, valid point. Cause now when you trap them, do you just release them or do you come and give them a dirt nap? No, I, I, um, I, um, Go ahead and snatch him. I go ahead and shoot him. Yeah. I was looking for a better terminology, but no, I go ahead and, uh, I do, uh, uh, if it's a mangy coat, I'm getting rid of him, you know, um, but a nice coat, you see, I got a couple pelts hanging here. I got, I see that. I, I had another really nice one and a couple bobcats that just got skinned and, uh, they're going to head to the tannery. I'll get them soft tanned and then, you know, I just hang them. I don't, I don't sell any fur. Um, but yeah, I uh, I shoot all of them. They're, they're Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's more fawns. Yep, yep. And ki- and chickens and turkeys and, and pheasants. Every, yeah, everything. People, people's pets. You know, you, you you know, especially this year, these cold years, they're they're hungry. So if people don't think they won't come get your little dog out of the yard, you get a hungry coyote, he'll eat your little dog. Oh yeah, that's why. Uh, 
always a big proponent of whenever you're going to go hiking on the back uh, trail, stuff like that. So you got to carry a sidearm because you never know when you're going to have a, a coyote come down and they like, oh, that looks like that, that poodle looks really tasty. No, I don't. Um, nothing here that I catch is a, is against the law. We can catch uh, we can catch three bobcats a year. Um, so yeah, everything gets dispatched. Um, even the possums. And I know people, if they knew what the other diseases they carry, they they would dispatch every one of them that they seem to. I think it's like the lack of science that that people don't understand, like why these were these seasons were brought around in the first place, and it's like. You get away if we, if we move away and stop stop these seasons, we're gonna start seeing a rampant increase of more diseases. Why we oh, got sure. gotten in. well, just like possums, you know, they carry and I, and don't quote me on the initials, but I think it's EBM or something. Um, it makes horses sick. Um, they'll get in and they'll uh, they'll use the bathroom in their feed, and that causes a, a disease for the horse. Ooh. Um. They, People don't know that, uh, what's the other disease? They carry a really bad disease. Um, gosh dang it. They used to, it's not the plague. I forgot what it is. Um, but anyway, I got it. When people post that stuff on, online about don't shoot the possums, I'm the first one to put in through Google. Um, I got a screenshot and I'll send it to show them what the daggone bad diseases that they carry. Yeah. Cause it's like that's, that is a probably wise to do. Cause I'll get some pushback when I post uh, hunting or post of bears and stuff like that and, and coyotes and, like, and it's like I don't I don't try to bash them and I, I provide them credible resources it's like this is why we hunt X Y and Z because then I show them like what is involved or why we do this this way then they get out of hopes at home don't uh, create disease spread spreading and stuff like that so I think there's just so much for sure valuable information. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm searching for uh, possible diseases right now. Yeah, it's it's on my phone, and I'm on my phone, and I'm trying. I, I can't remember. It's it's a uh, it's it's called EPL. Leprosy. They, equine. Yep, equine. But the, the, they carry leprosy. People don't know that. If you look oh, in there, leprosy. they carry leprosy. Um, and then they carry other a couple other diseases. Like if they were to scratch you, like uh, bad flesh disease. There's a lot of bad diseases that come along with them, which. Comes along with a lot of your smaller mammals, you know, coons, rabies, the stemper. You know, you see a coon walking down the middle of the road in the daytime, and you can walk up to him. Something's wrong with him. Yeah, that's that's usually the golden rule. It's like you see a coon walk around during the daytime, you back away. Yeah, yeah. I usually, uh, I usually try to get rid of them. You know, if you see him walking around in the middle of the day, there's something definitely not not correct with him. You know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like you know, depending on the surrounding, you're gonna use your weapon of choice to make sure they're dispatched. And then call local authorities like, hey, or, or take care of yourself. Yep, yep, yeah, because you don't know, yeah, it, yeah, you really don't know. I, I try not to have to touch them a lot if you're sick like that because you really don't know what they might have. Be, being rabies be the main thing that you have to worry about with, exactly. with, with the smaller mammals, you know. Or even possibly have a tick jump off them to jump on you. Right, and I don't, yeah. Possibly get Lyme disease. For sure. But back to the trap and do Jeff, you know, we do a dirt hole like I explained and we do flat sets, which is not a dirt hole set. Um, you don't drill a hole. You do a, you can do it on a scent post, on a fence post, whatever. Um, it's just a flat set that we do. Um, yeah, both of them are very successful depending on the circumstances of where you're trapping at. Uh, snares, luckily we can use snares here. Um, they're really successful because it's a blind set. You're not leaving, you know, a lot of no smell, nothing for them to smell. You're not using a lure. You're not using a bait. You're, you know, you're clogging up trails and, uh, and you're catching coyotes. I mean, that's that's kind of the bottom line. That's what you dare to do. So, 
That is exactly right. So then, well, I think we've really touched base on a lot of cool things. I think we could almost come back and do another podcast about trapping itself. Oh, yeah. But um, we've talked about what you're doing for your future. Is there any, what are the best ways to get a hold of you for when it comes down to outfit time? When you're doing, when you're doing your outfit, are you there in Iowa or out there in North Carolina? So, for, yeah, for, yeah, for anybody that wants to, uh, that wants to talk to me or anything about Eastern North Carolina, you can look me up. Um, you can look up the website. It's Buffalo Creek Outfitters, um, Eastern North Carolina. Um, if you, you can contact me directly on Facebook, just message, just message me on Facebook. I can give you some more details. Um, go to the website, dig around. Um, if you have questions, contact me just through Facebook. It'd be fine. Um, I'm usually on Facebook quite a bit, so I can get, I'll get, usually get back to everybody within a day. Um, through the Iowa deal, I'm, we are, I'm usually, I have a select group that comes, so, uh, to get in is, uh, bad to say somebody probably have to pass away before somebody would be able to get in, you know what I mean? That's what I was thinking too, especially when you're on, on high, uh, prime hunting land in Iowa. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty yearly, uh, for her because my girlfriend does, she, she does all the, most of the outfit in here. I'm her hired hand, I guess oh, you would okay, say. Um, so she, she has her, she has her friends and, and people that come and, uh, that, uh, she lets hunt with, with, uh, with her. And, uh, so I'm more or less just, uh, just a hired hand to help her out when she's got people around, you know. That's fantastic. Um, this year, this year I'll be gone. So she, she, uh, she'll get it all done by herself. She's, she's a, she's a tough chick. So she can handle it all. She does all the gutting and the, she does it all. Yeah, that's that's a rarity right there. You know, it's like we, we were talking about that way back in October about our our women that we that we have in our lives. And it's like it's it's not easy to it's it's they're a diamond in the rough when you find them and you, you hold on. Oh, for sure. You know, it, any 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 woman that can you know, some days I don't feel like going hunting. She'll grab her bow and you know jump in the side by side of the four wheel or something and go to a farm and. She'll call me, hey, I killed one. All right. Well, the time I get there, she's got it gutted, ready to rock and roll. All we got to do is throw it in the side-by-side and take off. That's exciting. <laughs> well, well, Jeremy, you you brought a lot of information to the table. appreciate you going down the rabbit hole of trapping because it's like I've learned some stuff about it too. Uh, is it motivated me to start trapping? No, but it's like, it definitely may motivate somebody out there to look into this more definitely. So. Oh, for sure. And if not, it just maybe educates some people on kind of what's going on and like I said, we could do, I can do podcast about, about anything when it comes down to hunting or filming, you know. Uh, we didn't even scratch the surface of the places and the things that I've been able to see and do, you know, and the, all the people I could thank for that is, you know, I'm pretty blessed on that part. Well, the nice thing is, is Jeremy, is that I, if you look through my, I bring a lot of recurring guests on you that bring a lot of value. So it's like, you'll definitely be back. This is a lot of fun. So thank you. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot to all the audience. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. You're very welcome.